Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going in your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pause for a word of prayer. May the meditations of all of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. So we're in the season of Lent. We are reminded on Ash Wednesday that we are made of dust, and to dust we shall return. Without the Spirit of God to animate this mortal body, we are just dust. Stardust, but just dust nonetheless. Death is a part of life, and each day there is a death of yesterday. Death to dreams that will no longer come to fruition. Death to relationships that end. Death to ideas and thoughts and beliefs we found to be untrue. We are good at avoiding death. I know I am. Busying ourselves with work and activities, focusing on others' needs before our own getting absorbed in the controversy of the day, fussing about this thing or that over which we have no control, overeating, overdrinking, overindulging in something. It works for a while, for temporary relief. To follow Jesus, though, is to follow and to face death daily. There's something freeing about facing death daily. By facing it, we realize that there is a pattern in life that we often miss. In Lent, we are following Jesus to Jerusalem. It is a journey, after all. And even though we don't make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year physically, we can attempt to do so in our worship. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals. We have found the Messiah. And we are following him to Jerusalem. 
And all along the way, we are discovering in his teachings that the things that we had taken for granted are very different from his perspective. We are really on a journey. And we chant Psalm 121 as, we, as a way to break the boredom and to encourage us on the way when our feet get tired. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Each phrase repeats in a step-like beat, like one of those songs that the prisoner chain gang would sing to make their hammer swings synchronize. It reminds them that they are in this together. And as they walk, Jesus reveals his image of the suffering servant. Jesus reveals his death. In the teachings, if we are listening, he is preparing us. In Lent, he is preparing us to live into this pattern of life that has always been there. The pattern of Good Friday. A day of giving up everything. A day of the suffering. A day of losing one's life. Holy Saturday. A day of mourning and going deeper. An Easter Sunday, a day of celebration in new life. Julie Poulter writes, The wisdom of Lent is that if we leap ahead without taking a measure of how powerful death is, corroding our souls as well as stalking our bodies, resurrection is reduced to a cosmic carnival trick with eternal life the prize of those who live well. Unquote. By facing death, we are facing the ways in which we contribute to death, the conscious and unconscious ways we contribute to the killing of others. Death comes in a slow decay of compassion and empathy. We are tempted to look away from those in need, to live our own lives unaffected by poverty, hunger, disease, to become addicted to wealth and power and influence. I have a friend named Ray Scallinger. He is currently on a pilgrimage from Central America to the American border. He meets others on the way that are on a migration path towards peace. They're trusting that there's got to be more to life than drug cartels and death threats and poverty. And in that trust, they take to the road daily, facing death. Ray says, you can read about this stuff, but until you experience it, you have no idea the enormity of the effort and faith it takes to be on this journey. He said his first week, he suffered with a blister that covered the entire sole of both feet. And he had good shoes and good socks. Most people don't. And he said, now he knows why when he meets people on the road, the first thing they talk about is their feet. We're on a journey, and it's called life. But sometimes we take the train of affluence and fall asleep. When we wake up, we've missed everything on the way. I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
the psalm for the sojourner, reminds us that we are not on the journey alone. And as each day ends and another begins, we realize that the Lenten journey is less about ourselves and our own accomplishments and more about our fundamental dependence on this mysterious grounding force that we call God. The Lenten journey asks us for a time to engage those dark places, those shadow sides of our lives, not just to live with them like anonymous roommates, but to face them, name them, begin to understand them, seek forgiveness for them, and see what they have to teach us. It's not about guilt. It's about freedom from the anxieties and the burdens that hold us back. This goes for individuals as well as whole church communities. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. Jesus' vision of God is not dominating it is nonviolent, generous, and self-giving. Are we ready to follow the God Jesus tries to show us? The word for keeper is semar, meaning God's protecting presence. What could it mean to experience and understand and embody a God that is loving, healing, reconciling spirit in whom all creatures Live and move and have their being. I'm going to say that again. That's a long sentence. Lots of commas. What would it mean to experience, understand, and embody a God that is loving, healing, reconciling spirit in whom all creatures live and move and have their being? The main idea in Brian McLaren's book, The Great Migration, in our Lenten book study, is that we are people called to live as sojourners, not to get stuck in our theology or our traditions or our own personal ways, but to flow like the rhythms of the ocean, to move to the beat of a poem, to feel the sway of a song. By following Jesus, we are invited on a great spiritual journey. Not to buy into a stagnant system of beliefs, but to live a way of life of love. We UCCers pride ourselves on not leaving our minds at the door of the sanctuary. We are certainly a thinking lot. But have we left our hearts there? Our culture needs wise spiritual guidance from religion, and instead it often receives anxious condemnation and critique. No wonder so many have abandoned their faith. Our culture needs churches like FCC. They need voices rising in our Christian faith and in other faith traditions, prophetic voices of change and hope and imagination McLaren calls a spiritual migration not out of religion, but out of the cages and the ruts of religion, out of the abusive relationships and belittling systems of oppression. Not as jaded ex-members 
but as hopeful pilgrims moving forward in the journey of faith. Yeah, we can get disillusioned, disappointed by humanity, the humanity that makes up our churches or our synagogues and temples, the humanity that makes up the leadership of the country or even our own family. This disillusion can be painful, a painful death of letting go of expectation and false narratives. My disillusionment came when fresh out of seminary, I was called to a congregation as a co-pastor. It was the clergy, my fellow clergy, that criticized, judged, and condemned me as incompetent. I didn't expect that from my colleagues in the ministry, but here it was. I almost left the church and God's calling because I believed them. Instead, I got a good therapist. And the church got an excellent interim. It was the condemning staff members who left. Well, my ministry continued on for seven years. This migration is threefold in McLaren's book, following the pattern Jesus reveals. Good Friday, painful death, letting go. Saturday silence, the pause of letting go sinking deeper into the depths. And Sunday, where we let go of Friday and Saturday, and we become lighter, rising up, mending our ways that were damaging. And when we receive fresh understandings of who we are as communities and institution, McLaren states, we can migrate from organized religion to an organizing religion. That shift from an adjective describing religion to a verb describing what we do. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't believe in organized religion. And I say, well, you'll fit right in because we're not very organized. (laughs) But McLaren is trying to say organized religion has turned people off. So what if we were more about organizing around something, something other than self-perpetuation? I mean, what's the purpose of church life anyway? We're not here to intercept souls on their way to hell. Our purpose is not to fill as many seats as possible on Sunday, though I always feel good when they're full, you know, it's kind of nice. It's not even to keep the staff and the pastors employed. Our purpose is to join God in the healing of the world. Did you hear that? Our purpose is to join God in the healing of the world. Our own healing lies in the migration from a religion organizing for self-preservation and privilege to a religion organizing for the common good of all. Wouldn't it be more Christ-like to be an organizing religion that organizes around a joyful spirituality that produces ongoing, lifelong, multi-generational transformation? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Ongoing, lifelong, multi-generational transformation. Say that a few times fast. Wouldn't you rather be involved with sincere, creative people 
who will rise on the wings of faith and catch the wind of the Spirit? Brave people who walk the way of the cross, owning their broken hearts and willing to suffer the birth pangs of a new reality? Isn't that what you want to be? New life at the end of the old one is an Easter promise. Can we remember that? That new life at the end of the old one is an Easter promise. We are called to live out our faith rather than just believing in it, to get in sync with the movement of the Spirit, to join in the healing of God's beloved world. We are called to rise and mend. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Believe it, church, and live it. Amen.